Hi, I'm Peter Palma, the pastor of Taipei International Church, and I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast today. This program is designed to encourage you, to help you grow in your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus. May God bless you as you listen. Woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful and the free look. Fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give. So she took some fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her. And suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. Their eyes were opened, and they felt shame at their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God. Walking about in the garden, and so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, "Where are you?" He replied, "I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked." And so here we have this situation where、uh, Adam and Eve had perfect fellowship with God, but now they've Eaten the the tree from the fruit from the tree, and they're separated from God. They're separated from Him, and for the first time, Adam is afraid of God and hiding from Him. God had placed Adam in the garden for fellowship, but now, as a result of sin, their separation. God is holy, and we can't sin and come into His presence, and so. Adam and Eve can no longer be in His presence, and He sends them out. But before He does, He tells them what the punishment is going to be. That for Eve, there's going to be pain in、uh, childbearing. For Adam, it's going to be difficult to to make fruit grow out of the ground. We're on this camera. I'm looking at the wrong camera. Okay, and、uh, so for Adam. It's going to be difficult to make fruit grow out of the ground, and then he says to the snake, he says to the servant, "I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel." So God makes this promise in the garden that one day offspring from the woman will crush the head or strike the head of the serpent, strike the head of Satan, even as. Satan strikes the offspring, and so here we have this perfect fellowship that is broken. God putting His people in a garden, and now the garden is、uh, is lost. And so Adam and Eve go out of the garden. The,、uh, mankind goes on, and and we know from Scripture that they wandered from God. They weren't following God, and so. What happens? God chooses Abraham, one man. That out of this man, his whole family will be、uh, will know who God is, and his descendants. So God will set apart a nation to show the rest of the world how to have a relationship with God. And eventually, we get to Moses, and God brings the people of Israel out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, and He makes a covenant with them. This covenant is an unbreakable promise. And it was usually between a king and his people that say a, a suzerain, suzerain vassal treaty, 
And so the idea was that the more powerful person would offer protection and blessing to the less powerful person who would serve the king or the suzerain. And so God is making this covenant with the people of Israel. He's saying, you serve me if you obey me, I will bless you. You will be my people and I will be your God. And this covenant was a, a covenant of the law. God gave them the law. And so if they obey the law and follow the law, then they would be blessed by God. Now, God put the, the law on tablets, had Moses put them on tablets, and then he put them in the Ark of the Covenant. And he gave Moses instructions for a tabernacle, this tent, this place of worship. And the tabernacle was the, the presence of God, where God would manifest his presence in the midst of his people. But the people couldn't come into God's presence. The people couldn't walk into God's presence. And so this is uh, how Hebrews tells us about this. It, it describes uh, the tabernacle. It says there were two rooms, and in the first room there was a lampstand, a table, sacred loaves of bread on the table, and this room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was a second room called the most holy place. In that room there was a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the ark, of the covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark there were cherubim of divine glory whose wings outstretched over the ark's cover the place of atonement. And so you have this box that is plated with gold, and on each side, there's an angel on this side with wings going like this, and there's an angel on this side with wings going like this, and, and covering, and then in the middle, it's the seat of atonement, or the mercy seat. And so each year, once a year, uh, the priest would enter the most holy place. And so... He always offered blood for his own sin and for the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. Now, nobody else could go in this room. It was covered by a curtain. And so if you can imagine um, being in Israel, seeing the tabernacle, knowing that that's where God is, that's his presence. But the whole time you're separated by a curtain. You can't actually see God. And this is what it was like for the people of Israel. They knew that one person was allowed to go into God's presence, but nobody else was. And he only went in once a year. And in fact, uh, what they would do when the priest would go in is they would tie a rope around his ankle with bells on it. So that if he died while he was in the holy place, they could just pull him out. And it was because that was God's presence. It was a fearful place to be because God is so holy and we are so sinful. So once a year, the priest could go in and he would take the blood of an animal sacrifice and he would put it on the ark, the mercy seat, the space between the two angels. He would place the blood on the, the mercy seat as an act of atonement, as a sacrifice for the sins of the people. So from there, he would go out into the holy place, and then he would put blood on the altar. 
And from there, he would go out to the people and there was a goat. And each year they had one goat and the high priest would go over to the goat, place his hands on the head of the goat and symbolically put all of the sins of the entire community on this goat. And then they would send the goat out into the wilderness. And it was a symbol of God taking away the sins of the people. But what Hebrews tells us is that the blood of animals, the, the blood of animals cannot take away our sins. It's, it shows us what needs to happen, but can an animal, can a cow really pay for my sin? And the answer, of course, is no. But what the book of Hebrews tells us is that Christ became the high priest over all good things that have come, and he entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and not part of the created world, and with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. So Jesus goes to the cross and he offers not animal blood, but his own blood. Up to this point, ever since the garden, there was a curtain between God and man. So imagine that if, if you lived in Israel and there was a curtain between you and God and, and you knew that God was behind the curtain, but you couldn't go, you couldn't meet with him. There was this separation. The separation was there because God is so holy and we cannot in our sin come into his presence or we would die. And so God puts this curtain. Why? Because he wants to be with his people. But if sinful people come into his presence, they will die. And so there's a curtain there to protect them. And yet it's also a sign that God is right there. And so Jesus goes to the cross. He is the high priest who goes into the most holy place and he offers a sacrifice. But instead of offering the blood of animals, he offers his own blood. And the scripture tells us in Luke 24, 23, 45, that when he died, that the sun stopped shining and then the curtain was torn. The curtain that separated God and man was was removed. It tore from top to bottom. And so the act of Jesus going into the holy place removes the curtain once and for all. And so now before we were separated from God, but now an away has been made open. A way has been made for us to come into God's presence. The curtain is gone. Now John tells us, in verse 1940, chapter 1941, that the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, which had not yet, no one had been laid. So Jesus was crucified in a garden. In the first garden, fellowship with God was lost. In the garden of the cross, fellowship with God is restored and Satan is struck in the head. He's crushed by what Jesus did on the cross. Now the second day, 
Jesus uh, stays in the tomb. It, it's actually the last day of the week, the seventh day of the week. And then it says in verse 20, on the first day, while it was still dark, Mary went to the tomb. And so Mary goes to the tomb and she's looking for the body of Jesus. Uh, we don't know exactly why if she wanted to do some preparation things for his, his burial. But what happens is she sees that the, the tomb is open, the stone has been rolled away, and the body is not there. And she doesn't know what to do, so she runs back to the disciples and she tells them that what she saw, and Peter and John run to the tomb. And, and John, I think a little comically, tells us about who got there first, and, and the guy who got there later was Peter, and, and he goes in, and, and they see that the body is gone, but the grave clothes are there, folded, sitting uh, where the body was laying. Now, if this story were made up, there'd be a, a few things. If, if this were just a myth, if this were just a story that the disciples made to uh, convince people or trick people, one thing is they wouldn't have had a woman be the witness. And the reason for that is, is because of the place of women in society was so low that, of course, in an honor-shame society, you would have as closest disciples be the ones who are first to the tomb. In addition, the disciples don't get it. Peter and John don't understand. And so this would be something that you would not make up. If you were making it up, you would say they knew from the scripture, they knew from what Jesus said that he was gonna rise from the dead. And so they went to the tomb in great anticipation. If you were making it up, you would write the story that way. But instead, what we have are disciples who get there after a woman who's looked down upon socially, who don't understand what's going on and who leave. So you would not make the story up that way. This story is true. This is an eyewitness account. It's written this way because this is what really happened. So Mary sees the other disciples leave. She's left at the tomb and she starts weeping. She's weeping because she wants Jesus. His body is gone and, and she's afraid to go into the tomb. And so she looks in and what does she say? Or what, what does she see? There are two angels. Now remember where there are two angels before, right? On the Ark of the Covenant, there's the angel on this side, angel on this side. Psalm 99 verse 1 tells us that God is seated between the cherubim, between the angels. Well, here are the angels, and the text tells us very specifically she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And so what does this make us think of? The Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat. We have a new mercy seat. The new mercy seat is where the body of Jesus was laid, where the blood of Jesus was sacrificed. Where is this mercy seat? It's in a garden. Why is it in a garden? Because in the garden was where fellowship with God was lost. And so God is going to restore fellowship in a garden. And so they ask her, woman, why are you weeping? 
And, and then this is my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in all of scripture because I think it's such a, a tender moment. Mary's weeping at the tomb. Jesus comes up behind her and he says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Now, remember in the garden, fellowship with God was lost and Adam and Eve hid and they were afraid. They were afraid of God, so they ran away. Here in this garden, we have a woman who's searching for God because she loves him. And Jesus says, why are you weeping? And what does she say? She says, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Says, supposing he was the gardener. She thought he was the gardener, right? And she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. She thinks this was a borrowed, this was a borrowed tomb. This was somebody else's tomb. And the gardener came in and found this body and, and brought it out because he was angry and annoyed that someone used his tomb. And so she's thinking he's the gardener and he is. He is the gardener, not of that garden but of the entire world. He is the one who's come to rescue us and restore the garden that God created for us. And then he says her name, Mary. And her eyes are opened and she recognizes that it's Jesus. And we don't know what happens next, but I imagine that she fell at his feet and is weeping and laughing and rejoicing and crying. And, and finally, Jesus says to her, don't cling to me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father, to your God and my God, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And so she runs and tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord. He is alive. And what does it mean that he is alive? It means that he has conquered death. It means that his sacrifice is enough. It means, as in the words of the author of Hebrews, our redemption is secured forever. You see, before Jesus, there was a curtain between us and God. If we came into his presence, we would die. And so God wanting to manifest his presence in our midst, but not wanting us to die, established a barrier, a curtain that we could not cross. But he didn't want that barrier there. So he sent Jesus to die, to tear it, and to pull it away so we could go into God's presence. You see, the, the old covenant was a covenant of law. It was rules to obey. But the purpose of the law was not that we could achieve righteousness and holiness and be accepted by God. The purpose of the law was to show us that we fall short and we cannot be accepted by God because of our own effort. 
And maybe uh, this is new to you. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you've been thinking that if I just do enough religious activity, if I go to church or if I serve or if I give money or if I sing the songs, then God will accept me. And the answer is no, he will never accept you because of what you have done. Because what you have done, what you can do, is not good enough. It will never be enough. It will never, never be enough. It's impossible for you to please God with your good works and to achieve righteousness through what you have done. Now, that doesn't mean you can't please God in your behavior. But what I'm saying is, is you can't achieve a standard of righteousness that God will accept. And so God sends his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. And salvation is a free gift. Because Jesus has won. He's the one who made the offering. He's the one who sacrificed himself. He is the one who rose from the dead and he offers you eternal life as a free gift. If you will believe, the scripture says, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you will call on the name of the Lord, even today, you will be saved. Salvation is a free gift. This is why Jesus died, to make atonement, to go into the holy place, to offer his blood once and for all, before it was year after year after year, the priest had to keep going and it was never enough. Jesus did it once and it is enough. And he gives us a new covenant. We're no longer bound to the covenant of the law. Instead, we have a new covenant in his blood, in his sacrifice, a new promise from God that we are his people because we believe. And so now we're going to take communion together. And so if you have the elements, if you have the bread, if you have the cup, you can prepare them now so we can take it together. You see, Scripture tells us that... Um, Jesus served this meal with his disciples the night before he died, the night he was betrayed. And the elements, the, the bread represents his body that's broken on the cross. The, the cup represents his blood that was shed for us. And it's the sign of the new covenant that God has made this promise to us that we would be his people forever. Not because of works that we've done, but because of the sacrifice Jesus made. This unbreakable promise. And as we take it, we want to come to him confessing our sin. And so I want to uh, give you an opportunity now to, to check your heart and to say, Lord, to confess any sin that comes to your mind, to forgive anyone that you need to forgive, to release any offense to the Lord.
ask him for his forgiveness as we come thanking him for the forgiveness we've received. I'll give you a moment and then I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are so good and you are so kind. I ask that you would forgive us for our sins. I ask that you would cleanse us and purify us of our sins as we come to your table to thank you for your forgiveness, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to remind ourselves of the covenant that Jesus made, that, that he tore the veil so we could come into your presence, that he restored fellowship with you in the garden. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it when he had given thanks. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so if you have your bread, take it in your hand. Take it and eat it. It is the body of Christ broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The blood of Christ shed for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body and blood. We thank you that even though we're physically separated, we are connected to you, connected to each other spiritually. We thank you. Lord, we pray that we would live knowing that you have been raised from the dead. I pray that our hearts would overflow with gratitude that you offered a sacrifice for us once and for all. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, for the disciples, when they recognized that Jesus was alive, Jesus went and he met them. So Mary went ahead and said, I've seen the Lord. And, and Jesus met them that evening. They were in a locked room and he appeared in the room and he, he said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead changes everything. The fact that we have been forgiven and that we have an eternal hope in heaven that God will receive us into heaven when we die, it changes everything. And so the purpose of life for the disciples had been altered to now telling others about Jesus. And just as the Father had sent the Jesus to earth, now Jesus was sending the disciples out. And so I want to encourage you, your life has been changed by Jesus. 
the hope that you have is in Jesus. And so Jesus would say the same thing to you that he said to the disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And during this time, COVID-19, a lot of people are, are fearful. A lot of people are lonely and isolated. A, a lot of people are struggling. A lot of people are going to go through this. It's, it's going to be very painful for them. And it, it may be okay in Taiwan, but maybe you have family members and in other nations that are struggling. And so this is an opportunity for you to share about the hope that you have. And how can you do that? Well, one of the ways is you can just reach out to someone and you can say, hey, do you want to have a, a, a Zoom conversation or do you want to get together on Skype or Google Hangouts or let's talk. People who are stuck at home and isolated, you know, they have time. Who can you reach out to? And as you meet with them, you can just ask, how are you feeling? How are you walking through this time? Do you have hope? And you can listen to what they say and they're probably going to ask you, do you have hope? How are you doing? And this is your opportunity to, to share, you know what? Um, it's tough, but I have so much hope in Jesus. I have, I have so much faith in God. And then you can share your story to share your testimony. You know, Mary shared, she went out and shared, I have seen the Lord. And the disciples, when Jesus sent them out, what did they go out? They began proclaiming how Jesus, had, who he was and how he had transformed their life. Your story is powerful. God wants you to share how Jesus has changed your life. And it could be that Jesus has changed your heart and your emotions. And, and you have peace now that you didn't have. You have hope now that you didn't have. How has Jesus changed your relationships and brought restoration in your family? How has Jesus changed your purpose? These are things you can share as part of your testimony and, and you can just ask God, God, who can I reach out to this week? How can I be a witness of the power of the resurrection to someone? And you don't have to use that kind of language, but you simply just have a conversation. And if they ask you, do you have hope? And, and you can say, yeah, actually, I have, a, I have all kinds of hope in Jesus. Can I share that with you? I, I think you might be interested. And, you know, another thing you can do is, is you can share a video or you can share a, a sermon or you can share a song. Uh, you can share a clip with someone and say, hey, I saw this and I thought about you. You know, would you want to watch it? I'm interested to know what your opinion is of it. And then have a, a video conversation with them and say, well, what did you think? And, and genuinely listen to what they have to say. And hopefully they'll say, well, what did you think? And you can say why you appreciated it, what it taught you about God. But God wants you to be a witness for him. The resurrection changes everything. And we have been transformed because we have been forgiven and free and restored into fellowship with God. And we have the best news and God wants us to share it. Jesus would say, as the Father has sent me, so I have sent you. And so this week, as you reflect on what God has done for you, ask him who you can share it with. Now we're going to go right now into our sermon discussion groups.
and many have joined, but many have not. And I just want to encourage you, please, please join us. We don't know how long this time is going to last where we can't meet physically. And God did not design us to follow Jesus alone. He designed us to follow Jesus in community with one another. And by coming together uh, online, this is a way that we can share with each other. We can encourage one another. We can pray for one another. And so we, I, I'm just asking you that you may say, well, I don't know if I need it. Someone needs you in our church. Someone needs you. And, and by participating, you can encourage and show love. And our faith is stronger together. I also want to encourage you to uh, sign up for connect groups. If you go to our website, uh, there's a link. Uh, we're starting connect groups a week from Wednesday. We're going to go through the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel and his friends were, were in exile. They were in a time of great pressure and disorientation, and they needed to figure out how to follow God through that time. And, and we're in a time of pressure and it's disorienting. And so we, uh, there's a lot that we can learn about following Jesus through Daniel. It's going to be Wednesdays, lunchtime, Wednesday night, just 45 minutes. But this is a way that if you will connect with us, if you will participate, then we can care for each other. This is how we can be cared for and make sure that we're okay as if we connect with one another. So may God bless you. May he fill you with his hope. May he fill you with his peace. May you celebrate today that your sins have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. And as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is sending you. And may he fill you with boldness. May he fill you with joy. And may he give you opportunities to tell of the good news. And may you be like Mary, be able to say, I have seen the Lord. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you were encouraged, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify so others can find our channel. If you have a friend who would be encouraged by this episode, please let them know about it. Share it with them. If you live in the Taipei area and you'd like to join us on a Sunday for service, go to our website, www.taipeichurch.org. And if you're around the world and you'd like to participate in our Sunday service, you can join our live stream on our YouTube channel, Taipei International Church. So whether you live in Taipei, Taiwan, or another nation, may God bless you, may His face shine upon you, and may He give you peace. See you next time.